The following presentation was recorded at Faith Builders. More information on Faith Builders events at fbep.org. I'd like to begin this morning by just simply singing that song, We've Got the Power. Um, I don't know if I know all the words to it, but some of you do, so let's just sing it. We've got the power in the name of Jesus. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Lord, Satan rages, we will not be defeated. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Somebody sing the verse. Years now, Satan's eyes, but the church of Jesus is still So my question is very simple. What are we doing here? Uh, if, in fact, we have the power in Jesus Christ, do you think that applies to the classroom that you teach in? Or is that just some, are those just some kind of lofty words that we sing um, occasionally to try to stir up our hearts a little bit and encourage us? Or do you really believe that? I do. The subject this morning is teaching with confidence and introduction to classroom management. Uh, two key words in this topic are confidence and management. <clears throat> I think there's an underlying assumption here, and that is that the confident teacher is a teacher who knows something about management. And that's exactly the connection that we want to explore this morning because it's true. If you can walk into any situation with confidence, it's about 10 times easier than if you walk into it fearfully to begin with. <clears throat> I grew up on a dairy farm. I was thinking about this subject this morning. It occurred to me that, you know, it's kind of like milking cows. Uh, when I was just a boy, very small, uh, my dad would get us in beside the cows and uh, we would uh, learn what it means to kind of wash them off and and uh, be prepared for a little stepping around and perhaps a kick periodically. Uh, and by and by, we would learn how to milk the cows. 
Now, we just had an old stanchion barn. My father was not all that progressive of a person. So the cows would come in, stand in there, and we'd walk in beside them and get down beside them, and we learned how to do this with confidence. <clears throat> we always had a little fun when the neighbors came by. You know, the neighbor boys had come down to visit us, and uh, they wanted to, to hear, they wanted to know all about milking cows. So we'd say, okay, here, um, jump in here beside this cow. <laughs> And uh, so they would, uh, uh, okay, uh, how, how do we do this? And so they would get in beside the cow by and by, and uh, the cow would just be there chewing her cud and doing the things that uh, cows do, eating her feet or something like that. And the moment they got in beside that cow, she would stop. Turn around a little bit to the side like this. What's going on back here? What's this about? And uh, she'd hunch down a little bit, those of you familiar with uh, dairy cows, and uh, quiver a little bit, shake a little bit, and uh, dear knows what was going to happen next. Now, of course, we made the choice of cows so that we knew they weren't going to really kick them or anything like that. Why did that cow do that? Why did that cow respond that way when that person stepped in beside them? Was it just simply unfamiliarity? Oh, no. There was fear transmitted from that person who stepped in beside them directly to the cow, and they knew it. They could feel it. Because you could, I could go get a neighboring boy who milked cows day after day after day after day. He knew cows. Come walking in, stand beside the same cow, do the same thing, and it wasn't nearly the problem. Why not? The boy that grew up on the dairy farm and knew cows walked in beside that cow with confidence. He wasn't afraid. And that's just kind of the point that I want to begin with here this morning. That is, fear begets fear. Confidence inspires confidence. Classroom management, how do you, what's the big picture? Well, just borrowing from the two terms that are right in this title, I would say this is what we're after. We want you to be able to walk into that classroom with confidence. Just like my dad intended to train me and my brothers, on how to milk a cow with confidence. And oh, by the way, do you know they tell us today that if you can just inspire a little confidence in that cow, she'll let down her milk better and she'll do just a whole pile of things way better. <laughs> if you can just get her to relax and be confident herself. I guess cows are confident. At least if you can take away their fear. And I thought this morning, I... That's just about what it is. If you can walk into that classroom and if you can somehow be confident yourself, not fearful, but uh, in control of things and transfer that, just let that confidence inspire the confidence of your students, I can tell you they'll perform a lot better in 80% of your classroom management problems are over right there. I don't mean to make it too simplistic, but I really believe that. So what I intend to talk about this morning is just simply how to inspire that confidence. My goal is to inform you that you can manage a classroom confidently. I think sometimes we believe that these people who do it well are just super people. Uh, they're just kind of folks that have their, their act together and they have it put together. They're, uh, they're confident in themselves and it can just, it just works for them, you know. Oh no. <laughs> 
the average person can do with confidence what I'm going to talk about this morning. <clears throat> Get out of your head that this takes a super person. It does not. I have a verse for you, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I'm going to share with you a couple of things that I've done in my own lifetime as a school teacher. <clears throat> you can turn there if you want to. You know the verse. It's a little exercise I do myself. It was taught to me by another brother one time. And uh, so if I began to lack confidence, I would pick up on this verse and, uh, and use it. Verses, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And this brother taught me, he said, listen, if, this, if you're fearful, here, I'll tell you what to do. Take this verse and repeat it the number of times, the number of words that are in the verse. And each time that you repeat it, emphasize the next word. Emphasize the first word first, then the second word the second time through, and then the third word the third time through. Let's just do that as a little exercise here and see how it feels. You ready? So what you're going to do first is you're going to say, I can do all things through Christ who strength, okay? And then we come back and we say it again, only we emphasize the second word. You ready? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You like that? <laughs> By the time you get through that exercise, you just open the door that off that classroom and just go charging right in there. Well, you can do it. <laughs> no, in reality, this is more than just a verse. Underscore reality. I don't know why we Christians talk so much about verses and memorization and this and that and the other thing, but we seldom bring it right directly to the classroom. I really honestly believe this, and I'm telling you, I have some students sitting here this morning, but there have been times I have stood in my office wondering what in the world I'm going to do about this or that or the other thing, and then I just take this verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and just kind of let that begin to sink in. Well, why shouldn't I? Walk out into this classroom and, and do what needs to be done at this moment. If it's confrontation, it's confrontation. If it's apology, it's apology. Whatever it is, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. <clears throat> Anybody can repeat those verses, that verse to themselves and uh, get an idea of what they need to do when they walk into the classroom. Another verse for you. <clears throat> this one is found in 2 Timothy 1.7, and around this verse, I will build most of my thoughts this morning. You can turn to that one uh, if you care to, and we will not uh, go through that little exercise on this one. But I think it outlines for us 
this verse does, outlines for us the, the antidote, the, the way to deal with this fear that paralyzes us in a classroom or actually in any other situation. <clears throat> Here's how the verse goes. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear. This is another one that I quote for myself when I'm in a tight spot. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but three things, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. <clears throat> the opposite of confidence is to be fearful. And the thing that I remind myself of when I'm walking into a classroom or I'm about to uh, engage in some kind of a confrontational situation or something I feel like I can't do or whatever, uh, I'm going to look at a verse like this and say, look, that spirit did not come from God. I don't, I, well, if it didn't come from him, where did it come from then? God hath not given us a spirit of fear. <clears throat> That's just a good reminder right to begin with. Now, it's true that if I have just been out on the town and uh, uh, drinking up a storm and uh, driving at a high rate of speed and all that, I ought to be afraid. But if, in fact, my community has called me out and has asked me, deliberately asked me to teach in their school, under their direction and with their authority behind me, why should I fear? God did not give me a spirit of fear if I have one as a result of being in that classroom. But in, instead of that, he has given to me love and power and a sound mind. And that's exactly what we want to talk about this morning. To me, these are the three foundational points of classroom management, or for that matter, you can just broaden it into... <clears throat> in many, many different areas of life. Now, I have designed this. Let's see. It looks to me like we need just a little bit of focus here. Can you all see that? Probably out there on the periphery, it just might be a little tight. I'm going to write on this thing a bit, uh, a few notes as we go along here. <clears throat> The diagram here is designed this way for a specific reason. I have, I, on my paper, I first of all wrote love at the top of the triangle so that it would emphasize it, and then I decided to put it at the bottom and to draw a little circle around it and help you to understand that it is foundational. I want to expand on it a little bit, but uh, I would just say that the broader we can make this in our classroom management strategy, uh, the more likely we're not going to have this thing tumble over on us and crash. Because people who want to work here and people who want to work here without love being active in their classroom, uh, what happens is that gets very narrow at the bottom, it gets very tottery. And if it gets really tottery and tumbles over, all of a sudden what you thought you were doing well in the sense of power or in the sense of a sound mind goes down the tube because this one was not foundational or was not uh, intact enough. <clears throat> now, I have a few words to apply here or a couple of things just to talk about on these. The first one is this. Love, I believe, is expressed, first of all, in positive expectations. 
Are there any other overheads here? This is one of those that you run through a copier, and the result is it doesn't want to... Uh, under my stand? No, there isn't, actually. I was going to just overlay this one with another one. By the way, that's a little trick if, you, if you're not aware of it. If you have one of these overheads that you run through a copier, these things won't write on them very well, but if you just lay one on top of it, it'll work. Uh, positive expectations, I believe, is an expression of love. Perhaps it is the most powerful expression of love. I don't want to quite say it that way. I didn't think through that carefully this morning, but too often when people think of love, they're, they're thinking of, oh, somehow you, you, you're patient and you put up with people's problems and you this and you that, and you just kind of heap on them love and so forth and so on. You wait for them to respond and then you make sure you don't respond badly. You understand? A lot of people think of that as love. Love is a powerful, dynamic force that moves out from a person, and it is not dependent on the way another person acts. It doesn't wait for that person to respond or to do something and then very wisely and very patiently respond to that. Oh, no. Love is first and foremost a mover. It is the shaker of the events of this world. And for some reason, we've forgotten that in the classroom. So here's the first-year classroom teacher and she walks into the classroom, or he walks into the classroom, and they begin with being afraid that something is going to happen in this classroom bad. And I sure hope I know how to respond to it. I suggest for classroom management, just forget that. Don't start there. <laughs> start there with the sense of love, in the, with the idea that you will have positive expectations for your students. And this runs the whole gamut. You can begin just academically. So you walk into the classroom and your expectation is going to be that your students will do well. You're going to be surprised if they don't do well. I mean genuinely surprised. Uh, I just read recently in a, in a textbook or in a, a, a book of classroom management, there have been a number of tests done on this where they've actually gone into a school district and uh, told teachers ahead of time. Now, teacher so-and-so, uh, you're going to have this world history class, and in that world history, we want you to know, these students are our top students. They will do well. They will be, they will be outstanding students, and you can expect every student to get somewhere, be, uh, not hardly less than a B. The truth of the matter is, the and, and the teachers taught the class, and... Uh, instructed the people, and sure enough, at the end of the year, everybody had A's and B's. Then the school district told them, actually, the students that we gave to you were just our average, typical student. We made no effort to, se to separate them at all. They're average students. The difference was the teacher walked into that classroom expecting those students to do very, very well, and when they did not, <laughs> she couldn't believe it. How could it be that you can't do well? You, you're, you can do better than this. And just by heaping that positive expectation upon that student, they did better. That amazes me. I didn't just suck that out of my thumb. That's documented. That's been done. Demonstrated. You can start there. You can talk about... Um, I must have said something wrong. <laughs> Uh, you can talk about uh, 
classroom discipline, classroom behavior. What do you expect of a student is my question. I have never, I just decided when I started to teach school I wouldn't do this. Stand in front of the class, I'm going to be going for 15 minutes. Now listen, if anybody gets out of their seat, if you do this, if you do that, if you do the other thing, let's see, if I can think of the 10 things, if you do them and I come back, you're going to be in trouble. Now, don't do that. Just simply tell students, I'm going to be gone for 15 minutes. I'll be back. Uh, you have your work to do. Go ahead. Walk out. Because if you go through the 10 things and then stop and see, is there anything I haven't covered? They know what you expect. And unfortunately, people tend to respond the way you expect them to respond. <laughs> so my point is, don't do that. Expect them to behave. And if they don't behave, then you're going to respond to that, of course, in some way. Uh, but if you begin with the expectation that they'll be bad, well, then they'll be bad. That's just the way it works. That's what I mean by love expressed in the classroom, <clears throat> in a classroom dynamic. Positive expectations. I don't think I have time, but read down through 1 Corinthians 13 sometime when you have time. Take a careful look in there, and we could pull that out right now, okay? And we could go down through it, and we could look at the various things that you're supposed to do. Can you find things in that list of what you're not supposed to do? Uh, actually, there aren't many. Now, I didn't have time to look real carefully this morning, but I know what it says. They're just a pile of positive expectations. Hopeth all things. Do you recognize that phrase in 1 Corinthians 13? Now, what does that mean? Hopeth all things. Love, if I can, if I could just summarize it in the classroom, is positive expectations. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and see if that's not what you get. Just expect and hope and believe. In fact, that's another phrase that's in there. Believeth all things. It doesn't mean believe all the gossip. It means believe that in fact these people can do well and God wants to use you in the classroom this year to accomplish something significant for him. <clears throat> Big statement. I can tell you if you don't enter the classroom with that groundwork, you will spawn and generate problems in your classroom that need not be there. Okay, Start here. Build that foundation under you of positive expectations. If that foundation is intact, then you're ready to move on and talk about power in a sound mind. What I like about what Paul says here when he says, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Uh, he doesn't just tell you to close your eyes and just kind of, oh, everything will be all right. No, no. He says you've got love on your side. You've got positive expectations on your side. Secondly, you have power on your side. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands here. The number of young ladies who are under 25 years of age. Don't raise your hand. <clears throat> but the reason I mentioned that, mentioned that class of people, it's hard for them to think about it. But they have authority in the classroom. Do you like that, Vivian? I do. <laughs> 
They have authority in the classroom. And here's this timid little sweet girl who comes walking into this classroom and now she's supposed to run this thing. And uh, her assumption is that all these little students will love her so well that they surely wouldn't be bad. <clears throat> well, that's nice if you really are that sweet. <laughs> God has given us power. Now notice, I'm not trying to make this into a religious exercise. Of course he's given you the Holy, Holy Ghost. Of course he's given of you his character. And we could talk about those, but I believe that uh, Brandon intends to say something more about the teacher personally hereafter a bit. But I just want you to know that there are some simple things we sometimes forget. And they really are quite simple. Authority. God has given you authority. How did he give it to you? Well, listen, if there are school board members here, and if a school board is silly enough to go and hire a teacher and not invest them with the authority to run that classroom and give them the rope to run it, well, then they need to go back to the boardroom just by themselves and talk over how they're going to work with their teachers. That's a mistake. My assumption is, or my assumption was and still is, if the school board hired me, to walk into a classroom and to teach, they have also invested me with the authority that God invested them with. And I'm going to exercise it in the classroom. And likewise, the parents in the community, if they have chosen you to teach, they have invested their authority in you. And you ought to just simply take that authority and use it. God has given you power. Now, to be sure, sometimes this gets a little confusing. And I just want to say something about this. You want to find your place inside of the structure, the authority structure there in your community. That's right. This takes a lot of hard work sometimes. I spent a number of years, I believe, in my community, uh, back home in Chambersburg, just building confidence in the parents. And the parents building confidence in me. And I saw this happen over and over again. There were teachers there were teachers who were better men than I was and am. And yet they would get tr in trouble in the classroom with, with children. Why would they get in trouble? Somehow they goofed up right here. They could not get mom and dad to support them or they didn't bother to go and ask them. Classroom management, get this down. Your parent, the parents of your children, of your students are your finest ally. It fits inside of this structure right here. Okay? If you're having difficulty with a child, you need to talk to mom and dad. Academically, if it's an academic problem, if it's a discipline problem, whatever, you've got to get them behind you. How do you do that? Well, don't be fearful. Call them in, sit down and talk with them and say, Johnny or Sally or Betty or whoever it is, is having a problem. You probably know something about it. And I really would like for you to help me. That goes a lot farther than if Johnny or Sally or Betty goes home and says, teacher gave me a spanking today. Oh, yeah. Well, what about? Well, this, that and the other thing. And I didn't think it was fair. Well, you've got yourself a problem. <laughs> But if you had talked to that parent a long time before this and began to discuss what do you think should happen, this is beginning to add to your power. 
to your authority in the classroom. Likewise, if you think there's a difficulty with your, with your uh, board, then it's time for you to sit down and ask them what the problem is. Why don't you support me? What is it that I'm doing wrong? Ask them. Don't start telling them. Just ask them and have them talk to you about what seems to be wrong with the authority that you're trying to exercise in the classroom. <clears throat> Thirdly is a sound mind. <clears throat> a couple words here to share with you. Let's just overlay this thing here. God has given you a brain. This is the right place to talk about this subject. <laughs> He's given us a sound mind, the Bible says. Now see this, in contrast to the spirit of fear is love and is power and a sound mind. Listen, you've got a couple pounds of gray matter in your skull. Use it. Number one, whoops, master how to spell, <laughs> mastery. <clears throat> I was going to use the word preparation here. In fact, I could just as well use it. the last two years of my life, both spiritually and in many other ways, something, some things have really, really impressed me. One of them is that life is made up of, I don't want to call them small issues, but foundational issues. And sometimes when people run into trouble, they somehow want to skip over those foundational things and jump to some uh, for some answer here or here or somewhere else. I'm thinking particularly of, of uh, oh, take people who are struggling with some kind of uh, mental difficulty or something. Um, I've been counseling or have counseled with a number of people, and, and I'm surprised how this will happen. So it goes on for a half a year, and you're talking, you're talking, you're talking, you're talking, and finally you ask them, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? And I'm astounded. 90% of the time, people say no. And I say, you need to start. That's so simple and so foundational. What are we talking about? All these other lofty big issues if in fact you're making no attempt to get in contact with God at all. All right, now go from there to here. Classroom management problems. I'm surprised at how foundational and fundamental they are. If you're not prepared when you walk into a classroom, what do you expect to happen? Well, I can tell you that that's just a good recipe to get started off on the wrong foot right there with these students because there's an old rule of thumb. When the students are working, they're not playing, they're not laughing, they're not crying, they're learning. If they're not working, then they can do any, um, any number of umpteen things. See? So when you walk into the classroom prepared, You've got your stuff in hand. Now, don't go on a guilt trip. I know there are those times when we are so busy and we just can't get it all put together and, and you walk into the classroom and, and, and you, you know full well that you don't have the preparation done. Well, then tell them I'm not prepared. And once you have told them you're not prepared, then say, I'd like for you to read the next 20 pages. <laughs> <laughs> 
while I get prepared. <laughs> they know what they're supposed to do. You know what you're supposed to do. And remember, when they're working, they're learning. Give them something to do. And then get on with your preparation. Mastery, the better you know the subject, the better, the, the easier it is to walk into that classroom with an idea of what you're supposed to do and what's supposed to happen here. Those of you who've been principals of teaching, you hear me just keep pounding and pounding and pounding away at this. Objectives, objectives, objectives. Can you tell me in one sentence what you plan to do in this classroom? And if you can't, Go back and get your books and, and, and study some more until you're ready. When you can tell me what you're going to do in this classroom, then you are prepared to teach this classroom. And a whole lot of your classroom management problems will just end. Because if there's a 40-minute period and you walk in there with at least 30 minutes worth of work, a worksheet here, a quiz here, a story you want to read to them, or whatever it is that you've got, or you have mastered the lesson well enough and you know the three big points that you want them to know by the time this is all said and done and you begin to work at it, they know you're starting here and you're heading somewhere and they better be with you when they when you get there or they're going to be in trouble. They can't pass a test or they can't, they'll be with you. And when they're with you, they can't be back there passing, throwing paper wads, doing all, all the other wild things that happen. And if they do, when I'm teaching a classroom and I'm excited about that classroom and I see somebody pass or throw a paper wad or pass a note or something like that, well, I let them know that I think that is as ridiculous as can be. What are you doing doing that for? This is what we're doing. <laughs> What's that got to do with studying this math? Come on, get with it. See, that's what you're after. You want them to go with you. But if you're not going anywhere, you haven't mastered, you haven't prepared. If you're not going anywhere, how do you expect them to take them anywhere? There you are, all of you at, at, uh, at go point. And, and you don't know where you're going and neither do they. Okay, and if they don't know where they're going, I can tell you, it's just in the nature of little seventh grade boys to go off in all kinds of directions. If you're not going to take them somewhere. So a sound mind, use your head, be prepared, get ready to go. And take them from point A to point B. They'll go there. My experience has been they'll go there if they sense in you with some confidence that you know where you're going. And you want them to go there too. <clears throat> Mastery. <clears throat> Preparation. Sound mind. Now I'm finally getting to the word. Management. <clears throat> there are so many, there are many, many practical pointers about classroom management. I, I'm not going to get into them. I'm just going to point you to a couple places where you can find some details on this. You can uh, read Handbook for Creative Teaching. It's got ideas in there. Um, here's a book that I think is very good, The First Days of School. It's, uh, it's not from a Christian perspective, but it's not a bad book. I mean, it doesn't have a bunch of stuff in there that you would object to. But it, it, it walks you right through a lot of uh, different things. Uh, they sell it down here at the bookstore, by the way, and I'm not a part of the bookstore, and I'll take 10% uh, proceeds on that, by the way. Where are you at, Brandon and, and uh, Steve? 
<clears throat> but anyway, if you want a good book on some of this, here it is. Just let me give you a couple of quotes out of here in classroom management. See if I can find a couple of them here that I marked. The number one problem in the classroom is not discipline. It is the lack of procedures and routines. The number one problem in the classroom is not discipline. It's not that people don't know how to deal with somebody who's gone astray. It's the lack of procedure and routines. And they just walked you through uh, the kinds of things that a teacher would bump into. So what is what are your students supposed to do if you have to leave the classroom? Do they know? What are they supposed to do when they come in the morning? Where do they put their coats? Where do they put their lunch boxes? How do they leave the room? And of course, it depends on the age of the student and all of that. But the point that's made here in this book is too many teachers don't use their sound mind to manage their classroom. They don't get the procedures and routines down. And here's a student who's going off and doing this and doing that and doing the other thing. And they have no reason. Why. They have no idea why they're doing this. Well, they didn't know any better. Nobody told them what procedure they're supposed to take. It's <clears throat> a good quote. Here's another one out of the classroom management section. And you can see that I got some of my thoughts from this. A well-managed classroom is a task-oriented and predictable environment. Task-oriented. Students are on task. They're working. And it's a predictable environment. <clears throat> Here's another quote. Effective teachers manage their classrooms. Ineffective teachers discipline their classrooms. Big difference between the two. Okay? Because here again, you're back to expectations. So if I come to school this year, listen carefully to this. I come to, this is a new school year. Here I come. Now I, I've got my demerit system set up, okay? And I know how it's going to work. If the student is late, they get two demerits. If the student is, if the stu student chews chewing gum, this happens, gets one demerit. If the student, this or that or the other, I've got my whole discipline system set up. <clears throat> but I don't have a management system if that's what I'm focused on. I know, see, you see what's happening here? I know how I'm going to stop this behavior. I've anticipated it. I, I've got it all down to into a little neat package. I've got it posted. They know if they do this, this happens. If they do this, this happens. If they do this, this happens. I got this thing all figured out. The underlying assumption is, of course, this is what they're going to do. <laughs> and this is what I'm going to do. This is what they'll do. Get out of that mode. Don't get in that mode. That's the discipline mode. All right? That is not management mode. Management mode is on the positive side of things. It is just management is the, is the procedures and the routine. So it's, here's the way I give tests. I expect you in my classes, students know. When I pass out a test, you just clear your desk automatically. You clear totally off. That's a procedure. That's a routine. They clear it off. They put their books on the floor or whatever. They do their test. And when they're finished with their test, they can bring it up and put it on my desk. And when it's on my desk, then they can go back and get a book out. They better not have a book out between the time that I give them the test and then it goes onto my desk. That's just simply a procedure. That's all it is. 
I don't have any, I don't have any demerit system that says, okay, if you don't do that, you're going to get this, this, and that. I think, oh no. This is just what I expect. That's called management. Okay. Discipline is when you anticipate bad behavior and you're going to give some kind of a reward or punishment for it. And I'm saying, if you're focused on that, you're going to have some struggle in your classroom. <clears throat> I recommend, I could go on and on with some of those little details, and I don't think this is a time and a place for that. But I just recommend some, some books like this or the Handbook for Creative Teaching has some good ideas in it too uh, on this issue of handling classroom problems. <clears throat> Again, I underscore the number one problem in the classroom is not discipline. It is the lack of procedures and routines. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And just as sure as I'm standing here, I have confidence that you can run an effective classroom if you learn how to bring into your classroom these three things. Let's sing again uh, the song, We've Got the Power, just the chorus. We've got the power in the name of Jesus. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Though Satan rages, we will not be defeated. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Repeat together. I can do all things through Christ strengtheneth me. Thank you. For the most current Faith Builders recordings, visit christianlearning.org. And for more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.